Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. Today, we are going to be talking about two representatives and whether or not they're facing political and or legal hot water. I'm your host, Loyal Law School professor Jessica Levinson, and we are joined by the show's co-host and producer, Joe Armstrong. Joey teased it a little bit microseconds ago, but we're going to be talking about Representative Liz Cheney, Representative Matt Gates, and then we have some fun at the end, at least for us. We're going to talk about daylight savings time and whether or not it's time for us physically, psychologically, and spiritually to go maskless. With that, take us away, Joe. Hey, Jessica. Lovely to be here, as always. The big question, who is Liz Cheney, if you're not up on that? She is an attorney and a representative for Wyoming's at-large congressional district. And what is an at-large district? That is a state in which there is only one district because there's not enough people to have more than one district. So all of Wyoming's 586,000-plus residents fall into Liz Cheney's district. She is also the eldest of former Vice President Dick Cheney's two children. Both of those children are daughters. She worked in the George W. Bush administration. She's widely known to be a neoconservative. Remember those? National security, support for the military, pro-business, and also fiscally and socially conservative. She got the boot from the position of the House Republican Conference. That's the third highest rank in House Republican leadership. And why? Liz Cheney was initially supportive of Donald Trump. 538.com data shows that Cheney supported Trump's position on over 92% of House votes at one point. Although she had been critical of Trump's foreign policy, the trouble in the GOP began when she supported the second impeachment of Donald Trump in the aftermath of the deadly January 6th, 2020 insurrection at the Capitol. During the certification of Joe Biden's win, she said, quote, The President of the United States summoned this mob, assembled this mob, and lit the flame of this attack. Everything that followed was his doing. None of this would have happened without the President. The President could have immediately and forcefully intervened to stop the violence. He did not. There has never been a greater betrayal by a president of the United States of his office and his oath to the Constitution. So she very much changed her tune on the support of Donald Trump after that event. Now, the Freedom Caucus in the House attempted to remove Cheney from party leadership in February of 2021, but she was strident in her defiance of that attempt at the time, and she stayed in her job. Now, Things changed when pro-Trump House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy of California gave his blessing to ousting Cheney, and with that support, this week, out she went. Setting aside the Republican hypocrisy when it comes to so-called cancel culture, Cheney's ouster was tantamount to a failed purity test for loyalty to ex-President Donald Trump, who continues to peddle the big lie that there was widespread fraud in the 2020 election from social media exile where he currently resides. So, Jessica, what happens now? This, to me, seems like a punitive measure that solidifies Republican Party line allegiance to Donald Trump. Doesn't it seem that way to you? Yeah, it's interesting when we talked, I think we did an episode the night of the insurrection, and I really felt that this was going to be a breaking point where the Republican Party was going to say, okay, enough. Uh, We were threatened, our lives were threatened, and we're now going to kind of close that door, don't, don't open up the past, and let's go back to being the party of small government, less taxes, being more hawkish, having different views on criminal justice, on environmental controls, et cetera. 
But that's not what has happened. It was just this week that Representative Andrew Clyde from Georgia, in talking about the insurrection, said, quote, you know, if you didn't know the TV footage was a video from January the 6th, you would actually think it was a normal tourist visit. And I would say, tell that to the people who lost lives. Tell that to Congresswoman Norma Torres, who we had on the show, who discussed in great detail crawling across the floor of the Capitol, fearing for her life. So here we are in May, and the Republican leadership has just expelled one of its members and a member who is really in some ways political royalty. Again, Liz Cheney, the daughter of the vice president, she's not a moderate. She's not somebody who, you know, went against Republican ideology. And that's the thing that I think is really important to remember, which is this is has nothing to do with political philosophy. This has nothing to do with Liz Cheney's views on taxes or foreign policy or you know, the Supreme Court or any political issue. This is about her telling the truth and being punished for that. And it brings up, I think, two questions. One is, what does this mean for the future of the Republican Party? And I would say, look, at least in the short term, uh, this still is the party of Trump, it seems to me. Now, there are a number of people saying, well, you know, we need to break off, maybe form our own party. I haven't heard many, if any, currently elected officials saying that. But the other thing, it's bad for the country. Our country, our republic is set up so that we do better when we have two strong parties. And we don't currently have that. So it's not just the Republican Party that's suffering. It's really the American public. Now, I think we need to kind of zoom out and we'll know in not weeks or months, but years, whether Liz Cheney's calculation paid off both for her and for the rest of us. I definitely agree, Jessica. We do need to have those strong parties. Uh, The wheels of government were built to turn slowly, so said my sophomore year in high school government teacher, and we do need to have that balance. So let's move on. Matt Gates. we've been talking about him on this show for some time now. He's in some hot water now. Matt Gates. to me, seems like the frog in the fable of the boiling frog, except he likely knows how hot the water is in that pot where he's sitting. Gates, just a little bit of background, you've probably already heard all this, but he's a conservative congressman from Florida's very conservative 1st District. He is under investigation for sex trafficking involve a 17-year-old girl. The man turning up the heat on Gates is his associate, Joel Greenberg, who is a former tax collector for Seminole County, Florida. Greenberg has plenty of legal troubles of his own, and he has been under investigation for bilking the taxpayers of Seminole County for over $1 million, which he distributed to family, friends, and business associates. Other than the sex trafficking charges, Greenberg is also facing 32 additional federal charges, among them stalking a political opponent, making fake IDs, bribery, and wire fraud. And along comes Matt Gates. And Greenberg has been telling prosecutors that he and Gates had been paying women for sex for some time. Greenberg wants to make a deal, it seems. So, Jessica, can you please give us the legal take here? What is the potential problem here for Gates? Yeah, the potential problem, well, one, and I've said this before on the podcast, nobody ever wants their name to be listed in the same sentence as possible federal charges for sex trafficking involving a minor. So that in and of itself is not a good place to be. Now, 
You asked me about the legality. The Department of Justice is looking into whether or not Greenberg and Gates were involved in sex trafficking schemes involving minors, as you said. So Greenberg has apparently reached a plea deal, but we don't know that much here about the plea deal. We don't know about the specifics of the plea deal. We know that he faces, I think it's now a 33 count indictment and includes charges, as you talked about, of stealing from the tax office that he was head of and again of sex trafficking with a minor. So the plea deal could show that federal prosecutors now have a witness against Gates, one who could, for instance, explain some financial transactions that are in question um, involving, you know, again, potentially payments of minors for sex. But another caveat here is that cooperating with federal prosecutors and entering into a plea deal, it could be a way to get a reduced sentence, but it doesn't in and of itself necessarily mean that Greenberg is cooperating with prosecutors in providing information on Gates. So we do need to be careful that the fact that Gates took a plea deal and is cooperating with prosecutors does not necessarily mean he is also saying, and here's information about Matt Gates. Also, another problem uh, for Greenberg, which is that he has some credibility issues. And a Gates spokesperson brought this up already, saying, you know, preemptively, we can't trust Greenberg, reminding us that Greenberg was initially charged with fabricating or making up evidence against a political opponent. Now, look, the response to that is a lot of people have credibility problems. A lot of witnesses have credibility problems. It doesn't mean we disregard everything they say. It means that we have to then evaluate whether or not we can back up what they've said with additional evidence. So one thing I would say, Joe, you know, that's kind of the legal lay of the land. Let's not leave this conversation without mentioning the reports, not just out of the Washington Post, but out of a number of other outlets that Gates would brag to other people. And I think some of the reports were on the House floor about women that he met through Greenberg and would show these people videos he had on his phone of naked women. There was a great article that I read saying we not only need, if there's a there there legally, we don't only need legal repercussions, but we really need to have a culture where people don't just either egg somebody on who does that or kind of give a thin and uncomfortable smile and walk away because they don't want to deal with a confrontation saying, that's not cool. What's on your phone? Don't show that to me. So legal issues here obviously, but also political and cultural issues. In the short term, we know what Liz Cheney's political future looks like. The question mark will be, what does Matt Gates's political and legal fortunes um, look like in the short and long term? Indeed, Jessica, we will all keep you up to date on what happens with both Gates and Cheney as time rolls on. Let's move on to our next topic, which is a lighter one. Thankfully, after working its way through the Alabama legislative process, Alabama Governor Kay Ivey this week signed a bill that would keep the state of Alabama on year-round daylight saving time. Now, I myself have some relatives in Alabama, which is why this story caught my eye. In other words, what this means is that people in Alabama would spring forward and never fall back, essentially moving Alabama, which currently is situated in the central time zone, 
put it on par with the Eastern time zone. It wouldn't physically move the state there. Alabama staying where it is, but they would caucus with Georgia in that particular regard and the rest of the East Coast states. But there is one hitch here, Jessica. Can you tell us what it is? I really don't want to because you know that there's almost nothing that makes me more excited than springing forward. And the idea that we could spring forward, kind of beat time and then never fall back literally makes me giddy. And so now you're putting me in the position that I always am in life of saying, well, there's a hitch. And there is a hitch, which is that states can't do this on their own. If you want to move to year-round daylight saving time, then uh, we need federal legislation. Now, could this be the moment where we have a bipartisan agreement Maybe. Here's a really, really rare moment of true optimism for you listeners, but that is the big kind of hitch roadblock. For now, let's, Joe, let's enjoy the moment that it's May, the days are getting longer, and we still have at least a good month before summer solstice. Indeed, I love this time of year, Jessica. Could Alabama be that bellwether state that finally changed things at the federal level? We will see, I guess, in that regard as well. And last but not least, Jessica, some interesting news coming out of the CDC involving masks, those things that most of us have been wearing, at least we should have been wearing for the last 14 or so months. I first saw it on Joe Biden's Instagram page. It just merely read, in all caps, social media shouting, I might add. It said, Fully vaccinated people no longer need to wear a mask. Now, music to some people's ears, kind of stress-inducing to other people's ears. So I double-checked on the CDC website, that's the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. As of May the 13th, the CDC website has three bullet points on the After You're Fully Vaccinated, How to Protect Yourself and Others page. They go as such. If you are fully vaccinated, you can resume activities that you did prior to the pandemic. Secondly, Fully vaccinated people can resume activities without wearing a mask or physically distancing, except where required by federal, state, local, tribal, or territorial laws, rules, and regulations, including local businesses and workplace guidance. And three, and thankfully, if you haven't been vaccinated yet, find a vaccine. Now, Jessica, to me at least, that first one has an awful lot of wiggle room. I know as a musician, concerts are starting to be announced, but they're certainly not here yet. I myself am not an epidemiologist or a virologist. But I don't know, Jessica, is this more stress? Is this a good thing? Is it a time to do this? Will this change your summer? And are you headed to a Lakers game this weekend unmasked? I think you know the answer to that question. Um, Okay, so where do we even begin? In a way, it's just fantastic news, right? In the sense that the CDC has been, I think, quite conservative. And they're saying, if you're vaccinated, it's not just that you are quite safe. And I know there's been some recent news that, for instance, a number of Yankees have tested positive, but I think the vast majority of them are asymptomatic. So it's not just that you will be spared a severe disease. It's that it's very unlikely for you then to transmit it to somebody else. And this was one of the big questions that we were all wondering and obviously has huge public health and, you know, emotional and psychological implications. So um, the big caveat, as you said, is states and localities and businesses will still have a lot of power in this area. You know, uh, we're both from Los Angeles. As of the time that we're recording this, Los Angeles has said, you know what, we need a minute to determine if we're going to follow CDC guidance. So we could have a little bit of a patchwork. If this brings 
a number of people to say, you know what, it's worth it to get vaccinated, then great. I am thrilled that the CDC did that. We're all, you know, trying to keep our eyes on this prize of, I know we're not supposed to say herd immunity anymore, but reaching a critical threshold. And we're taping today on the first day that vaccine appointments are available for people who are 12 to 15. So hopefully this is a turning point day for America, that we have a lot more freedoms if you're vaccinated and that we're going to have that big cohort, that 12 to 15 age cohort, who we know they obviously socialize and they can spread the virus and hopefully they will be protected and they will protect their family members and their communities. Now, right after all that optimism, my role in life is to throw some serious rain on this parade. And I will say it really is past time for us to not just say we're so lucky to live in America, but say we need to do something about vaccine inequity. And to the extent that we're worried about ourselves, it's also a selfish decision. It protects us if we protect the world. And it's a humanitarian decision. It cannot be that because you live in a low or middle income country, you don't have access to a potentially life-saving vaccine. So I don't want to leave it on that slightly less optimistic note. I will say, Joe, let's think back to the idea that even if there's a 0.001% chance, there is a small sliver of hope that one day we will spring forward. We will have light literally longer. Look, you know, the two of us could just devote every episode to that. But listeners, we promise we won't. We thank you for listening. We really do love hearing from you. If there's something else that you want us to talk about, tweet me at Levinson Jessica. Please continue to rate and review. We take it to heart. And you can find the podcast on Twitter at Past Judgment Pod, on Instagram at Passing Judgment Pod. And what about you, Joe? Should we still continue to be able to find you? Yes, you can always find me at, at In-Depth Day. I'm doing some traveling, but I will be back home soon, and we will keep the episodes coming. And I agree with you wholeheartedly about the vaccination situation. We all want the same thing. We all want to be out there going to concerts and sporting events, even though you're not going to see Jessica at a Lakers game anytime soon. There's other places she may want to go. So get vaccinated, everybody, and uh, have a great day.